Welcome to the Fitness Nerds Podcast. This is co-host Ryan Smith with Coach Stephanie Holbrook, where we get a chance to geek out on all things fitness. Hi, everybody. Welcome again to the Fitness Nerds Podcast. And back by popular demand is Peter Defty, General Manager and Coach at Vespa Power. Um, Vespa is an amino acid supplement, and they have really created a great program to optimize fat metabolism. And we talked about that in an earlier podcast, and we got some feedback that folks wanted to know about the OFM Pyramid and the, the program that really is outlined on the website on how the building blocks to make this program work. So, Peter, welcome. And can you tell us about the, the pyramid and, and how it works? Okay, yeah. Good afternoon, Stephanie, and glad to be back. And I'm, I'm really glad to hear that uh, the first podcast was popular and that, that you got some feedback asking more. So, yeah, the, the OFM pyramid was was sort of something that came to me after several years of developing the whole OFM program. And, you know, we wanted to have a, a way that people could sort of grasp, you know, the whole program because we're not just about the diet because a lot of people think it's just about the diet and Vespa, but, you know, there's so many uh, factors to it as we intimated to in our first um, podcast that we came up with this pyramid, like the, like the food pyramid, um, to kind of cover the main topics and 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 the pyramid is is conceptual in nature because here at Vespa we recognize that this is not a one size fit all type of uh situation it's it's not it's just not that simple it's it's complicated but yet it's very doable so and and everybody's an individual so while the basic physiology is the same for mostly everybody um, there's wide variation in between people and everybody's just an individual. It's not just your genetics or your diet. There's a whole bunch of other factors and we, we try to address most of those uh, within the, the paradigm of the pyramid. Cool. The, um, so the base of the fear pyramid on the website is called the Fat Adapted Metabolic State. So um, can you talk about what that goes over um, I know some of it, it talks about common issues, but the different stages of fat adaptation. Okay, sure. Yeah, I, this is kind of a – this is our foundation and this is the foundation of the pyramid because the whole concept is based on, on human physiology and, and evolutionary biology, which, which when you really look at the hard science – Humans are meant to burn fat as their aerobic fuel source. In fact, when you look at animal species, most animals, including herbivores and ruminants, get most of their calories of nutrition from fat, like 50 to 70 percent. I mean, even ruminants like cattle, a lot of people don't recognize that, yes, they eat grass and they're herbivores, but their actual nutrition is derived from the fatty acids produced from the bacteria. So they're really fat burners, not not uh, sugar burners. So we want to get you back to that fat adapted state because we've kind of gone far far afield with the um, overemphasis on carbohydrates and and when you think about it, the reason we carry a lot of fat is because that's what we're meant to burn aerobically and glycogen and glucose are fight or flight fuels so you know even the leanest athlete has the fat the the, the 
the spare fat calories to run 100 miles, do a double century, an Ironman. You know, we just have a tremendous amount of, of available fat stores, but making them available for metabolism is a whole other thing, particularly when you have uh, emphasis on carbohydrates due to, you know, the insulin response. Right. So if you're a sugar burner, it's hard for your body to tap into fat because it just doesn't know how to do it, right? Yeah, it doesn't. It not only doesn't know how to do it, it can't do it because when you're when you're taking in all those carbohydrates, your body's secreting all that insulin. And and when you think about when you do the math on on fasting glucose level, that seventy five to ninety five milligrams per deciliter that people talk about with diabetes, right. okay, that translates literally into one teaspoon of sugar in circulation, your serum sugar as glucose. So that's how tightly regulated. And, and while the body can easily handle a rise of two to three teaspoons, most of the people who are doing the conventional sports nutrition are doing, you know, seven, eight, 10, 12 teaspoons at a whack by ingesting a whole wheat bagel or a plate of pasta or something like that. And, and, and that is a, a toxic level of glucose. And, and, and a, a normal human will, their pancreas will secrete the insulin and drive the blood sugar down now if, but in a say a type 1 diabetic if they don't titrate themselves with insulin when they take in that hit of sugar they're dead that's why that's why I call it a toxic level of, of glucose and so um humans are and I, I don't want to get too off topic but humans are made to do that but it's only something we were meant to do seasonally it's like three to five times a year for most of human existence we ate those concentrated carbs when fruit was ripe or berries were ripe or tubers, and the rest of the time we were going around in this fat-adapted metabolic state. So that's that's kind of now. So if you can understand that and look at this basic physiology of this one teaspoon is what your fasting blood sugar is. It, it just makes sense, and it's it's a physiological fact that that's really not argued about. So so we want to get your body back that, and the way you do that is to get your insulin levels down. Okay, so you want to get your insulin sensitivity up and get your insulin levels low because when your insulin levels creep down, then then the physiology in humans is such that when your phys- insulin is low, you, your, your liver will start to p- burn the fat, meaning fatty acids will be released from your fat tissues because insulin helps to store fat, but it, but it also inhibits the release from fat tissue. And it also at the liver, insulin, when it gets to a low level, induces ketosis. And in a fat-adapted athlete, it even induces gluconeogenesis, which is making glucose from fat, not protein. Okay. Starvation ketosis is when you rob muscle protein to make glucose. So, so you have to get that insulin level down and your and at the same time your insulin sensitivity goes up so so as the athlete becomes more and more fat adapted they don't lose the capacity to burn sugar very quickly whereas when you burn a lot of carbohydrates you lose the ability to burn fat very quickly because your your body is in this crisis mode thing to to drive down blood sugar like now so that's the metabolic state now for all you athletes out there who are wondering okay so how do i get there and the way to get there is to start to ramp down your, your concentrated forms of carbohydrates. So we're not saying you, you're going to not eat a lot of vegetables and fruits. You eat like vegetables. I want people to encourage people to eat lots of vegetables and fruits. You eat like vegetables like tomatoes and avocados and things like that. Um, but not, not this heavy starches like the grains, the, the, the potatoes, the sweet potatoes 
and the high glycemic fruits like even bananas and pineapples and mangoes and things like that. Um, and, and you have to do that, um, cut all those things out for a period of time. So um, right now, I think a lot of people are in their, they're still in their race season. And so doing what we call a hard reset where you, you go cold turkey on just very little carbs for a period of, of two to three weeks um, isn't really the way to go because – you know, you'll be in, in this no man's land where you'll have zero energy. And if you try to exercise through it, you could, you could even risk adrenal fatigue, which happens to a lot of people because they try to exercise through their, their adaptation period. Yep. 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 We see a lot of that uh, because everybody wants to do this and they see it works and then they try and do it, but they don't, they're not fully armed. And because most people that do this want to really do it, they still think they can exercise. So it's, it's key that, the hard reset, you want to wait till the off season. And, and let's do another podcast on that, just how to do a, a hard reset properly okay. uh, later this time. But like right now, when people are in their season and they got races and training, um, what we recommend people do is to cycle their, their concentrated carbs, which means um, they do want to drop the overall level, but um, – what you want to do is after your weekend of training or racing for those days of recovery from like Sunday night through say Tuesday, you want to try and keep the concentrated forms, the starches, the grains, um, the high glycemic fruits out of the diet as much as possible and and do the, the fat with uh, the moderate protein in mainly in whole sources. And and then as you start to ramp back up in your training or you have an, uh, an interval workout, something more high intensity, have a little bit of, of some concentrated carb like sweet potato or potato, um, et cetera, but, but sneak it in under a blanket of fat. So butter, sour cream, coconut oil, all these are good options. Um, and, and, and that helps to kind of slowly bring down that insulin level and allow you to tap into fat more and to get more out of the carbohydrates you're doing. So that's sort of like a, you know, if you're looking at the website, it has like the phase one, which would be sort of the hard reset, but you're sort of doing like a transitionary phase one instead of a hard reset phase one. That's correct. That's correct. And I don't know if, if, if a lot of people knew this, and I, I took some of the development of our OFM pyramid out of this, but the original carb loading protocols, they were done before the whole fat phobia lipid hypothesis came into vogue. And when you look at them, they were using young, highly competitive male athletes. So A, high testosterone, haven't had decades of high carbs, weren't fat phobic, and they were probably eating quite a bit of protein because protein was very much in vogue for athletes back then. And what they did was they would put them through a carbohydrate restriction for two weeks before loading them up for the three days prior to an event. And so when you have young, young competitive males, high testosterone, still relatively good insulin sensitivity, and then you restrict them and then bring the carbs back, that's, that's sort of a more carbohydrate. So they're super insulin sensitive and then you gave them a bunch of – you filled their muscles up with glycogen and then they exactly. were like science. Exactly. You know? Yeah, exactly. And that's where the – that's part of how we learned how to develop it because our strategic carb – our strategic carbs for both 
pre-race and fueling is, is, is based on that sort of concept. And so, you know, it, it worked for that, but, but it wasn't that those studies weren't done when everybody was fat phobic and eating, you know, 60, 70% of their, their diet was the macronutrient carbohydrate all the time. And then they were going, you know, up to 80% or 90% before a race. So, you know, it's, it's a very different paradigm. You know, the, the studies were done in a very different paradigm than what most people right. are doing today and thinking is carb loading. Right. So, Peter, I have a question about, about that. So, someone who – I used to be fatophobic and um, ate very low fat and very low protein too. Um, I ate, you know, close to a vegan diet and it made me very sick and, you know, very unhealthy and um, I did a bunch of research and, and really, you know, gathered information that that was really not the best diet for me. So now I I feel great, but my level of carbohydrates and protein that I can have are very, very low just from tracking it. Is that something that just because I had gone to one extreme that my body, you know, can't handle that many carbohydrates or, or protein? I mean, is, or is it my genetics? Well, part of it's your genetics, but the other part is probably what happened during that phase where you were high carbohydrate, vegan, um, and then the other fact, main factor is you're female. Um, It just and so that combination, you know, I see a lot of that because because of the fact that women are much more sensitive and, and conscious about what they eat because I think they're biologically hardwired through evolution because you're basically, you know, in terms of nature and nature isn't very kind. I mean, I don't know where they get this mother nature, but it's, it's not very kind. I mean, a woman's, <laughs> yeah. role, a, a woman's role in life is to get healthy and a little bit plump so she can get pregnant. Not a lot plump, but, but so you can get pregnant, gestate, have a baby and then lactate. So, so, the reason why women it's harder for women is because their their hunger triggers are more sensitive and their ability to let go fat of fat is much harder because they're basically saving it for feeding two people at a time when you know when you're pregnant you, your ability to hunt and gather is limited and when you've got a baby hanging on you and you're and it's nursing off you your ability to hunt and gather is limited so you think about it in that paradigm it's like oh okay Right, that your body makes, wants to keep you, I mean, really keep you wants, producing the yeah. next generation. Right, yeah, it's, 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 storing enough, it's storing enough so that you can get by through that time when you're compromised at gathering food and you're, and you're actually feeding two people at the same time you can't gather. Okay, so it's it's it's, it's kind of cruel, and and they've actually done studies on like orangutans, and where this this guy was studying this female orangutans, he's walking around the jungles of you know Southeast Asia with ketone st- sticks getting peed on, and so and and that's what happens is is in a lot of animals. I've I've also seen this in dairy studies. The 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 mother, you know, when she has the baby, they go into ketosis and they start to drain those fat reserves to be able to lactate and survive and, and, and get by during the time when they've got, you know, a calf or a baby orangutan or in the effect of a human, you know, a baby hanging on them. Right. You know, and, and all the priority of the mother is focused on that next generation. 
not hunting and gathering and going out and playing, you know? Right. <laughs> so it's, 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 when you think of it from that standpoint, the, the, the female issue does make it harder. It is doable, but in your case, that's it. So I see, I've seen a lot of uh, women that have gone through exactly what you've gone through and the stiff muscles and everything, and they generally tend to have to, to induce the fat-adapted state. They generally have to go down below 30 grams a day for a couple of weeks um, to induce that switch over where your metabolism switches over to burning fat. Right. I, I mean, I, I definitely have to be under the 30 grams and I'm, you know, burning fat better. I've, you know, lost 14 pounds in the, the last month since I lowered my protein levels. Yep. Um, so that was good. You know, my body's obviously burning more fat, but it's little things like I drink, uh, two glasses of wine and it threw me like I bloated up three pounds the next day. Yep. So yep. it's like, I can't, uh, I have to be really, really careful. <laughs> so. Well, and, and well, and as you go along, as you, as you get better and stronger, you'll probably find you'll be able to tolerate that window of tolerance will grow, Stephanie, for you. Yeah. And that tends to happen. And also what will happen, and we'll talk about this in the nutrition tier, but your, as your biome and epithelium get more uh, robust and healthy, you'll also be able to tolerate more. So back to the fat adapted metabolic state. So when you make that switch by having low, but no, you can't have no insulin because then you get ketoacidosis, which is runaway ketones. But when you get that low uh, insulin level that, that causes the switch where you induce beta oxidation in the muscles, which is fat burning in the muscles and ketosis in the liver, which is where you start to produce ketones and glucose. Okay, here's the interesting thing. Your body actually prefers saturated fats and has the hormones and enzymes to break it down, which, which that tends to like, like after you got yourself in the fat adapted thing and you notice your, your energy levels went up, your hunger triggers went down, etc. It takes another six to eight weeks for the up, the, the real big, strong upregulation of hormones and enzymes. Maybe you've seen this in your, your journey that, you know, now you're, you're stronger than ever that, that, you know, you go through that two to three weeks of hell and then you you feel you know you're not climbing the walls but you don't feel that strong yet either you know it's not like and then then slowly over time you just build this this strong this strength because as you do that your 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 hormones and enzymes get upregulated for for fat burn because the the pathways for beta oxidation, for gluconeogenesis, for ketosis are much more complicated than the glycolytic pathways of burning sugar. So it takes some time to get that all going. And the other thing is saturated fats. Now, instead of accumulating and being the demon that everybody makes them out to be, they actually become the, the cleanest, most efficient fuel that your and your body actually prefers to burn them. Right. I don't have a problem getting in saturated fats. I Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like the but, butter. <laughs> So. Right, I know you do, but but a lot of our audience, you know, have have been led to believe that saturated fats are actually dangerous, and and what they don't understand is saturated fats and monounsaturated are very stable, particularly saturated. The reason they're saturated, and the reason the body stores saturated fat, like like on animals, you know, the fat they say oh, it's a lot of saturated fat, is because it is so stable. It's not prone to oxidation, and and become a free radical and attach to lipoproteins and makes it 
make it subject to oxidative stress. These are very stable fat. Is, it's very stable fat, but it's full of hydrogen. And when, when it gets converted to energy, it releases a ton of energy, which we're going to talk about how to deal with when we get to the hydration thing. So I, I want the, the audience to know that, that you know, one of the big health benefits of, of this fat adapted metabolic state is now the most stable, best fat that you use is saturated fat, so it's now your ally and not the demon it's been made out to be. Right, and you have a list of the, the fats and oils online, too. Yeah, there's a document on which fats, and, and we'll, we're going to be updating and, and refining that, and that's a, that's a good thing to use because a lot of people have um, some misconceptions due to a lot of the media hype, the health hype, this study says this, cause, but you know, the, you know this, and, and people need to understand where the monounsaturates belong, where the polyunsaturates belong, and where the saturated fats, and, and a lot of people don't understand that the, the, the focus on polyunsaturates, anybody who's a lipidologist or an organic chemist knows that polyunsaturates, by their that very nature of polyunsaturated, means they're very unstable, so while the body needs a li- needs some, like the fish oil, the EPA, the DHA, it needs the appropriate amount. And too much means you've got a lot of oil that's not very stable and is subject to uh, oxidizing. And, and that the use of, of these vegetable oils in the fryers, they're not heat stable. They're chemically altered to be right. fried. It's, it's like – it's kind of like, you know, it's I, – I don't understand how – how wrong we've got it, even though the people. Well, who- it's a marketing tool. It's, yeah. it's not. It's a marketing tool. It's not for health. I mean, Mary Ang, um, who just passed away recently, yep. wrote a really good book on fats and yep. Yep. The promotion of saturated fat. Right, and currently I work with her colleague Bev Teeter, and Bev was the first person to publish on the danger of trans fats, and um, she was actually a very close personal and friend of Mary Ang's and and. Um, Oh, I pronounced her last name wrong. Sorry. Yeah, it's Anik. No, 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 no big deal. But yeah, um, and so yeah, so yeah, check out that document on the site um, because that'll give you uh, give a lot of people some of the good information, basic information that's doable. Which fats to cook with? A lot of people don't realize that olive oil is not the best cooking. Right. Oil. I know. I hear people cooking with olive oil. I'm like, what are you doing? It's going to oxidize. You're just going to yeah. make it, you know, not good for you. Yeah, and, and so yeah, and, and and it's like you know, I, I so we're trying we're trying to get you know just like you, we're trying to get the right answer there, right answers out there for people, and just like you, you know, I'm consulting with people who are really in these fields. But when you're talking about lipids, fats, like we're doing here with this metabolic state, you're talking to you know this this branch of metabolism that's pretty esoteric and and kind of geeky so you have to be a lipidologist to want to be into all this and and when you know it's it's pretty basic and and fortunately the Weston Price uh, Foundation has done a, a good job of getting out to them to their their uh, members yeah and there's a there's some smoke point uh, different uh, PDFs online. I know uh, Sarah Fergoso. I think it's Sarah Fergoso has one, and I can put a link in the show notes. And she has a whole list of fats or smoke points which you can cook with, or how high you can heat them, and which ones exactly. to use. So yeah, you don't want to, you know, ever want to smoke a oil. Yeah. <laughs> so don't let it smoke. The um. But I'm sorry, Pierre. Go on with what you're saying. 
yeah. So anyway, um, to finish up with the fat adapted state. So, so the whole idea is to get, try and make that shift as much as possible. And it's going to vary, um, with the individual. Some people can do a pretty good job of getting well fat adapted in season. Others are going to have some time, some trouble. So they're going to have to keep some of those carbs in. But, but the whole idea, if you're still in your season is, is try to reduce the overall carb content, uh, of the concentrated carbs and then, and then try to have some days and especially in the recovery where you're not exercising or you're just doing active recovery where you really try to ratchet down uh, the concentrated forms of carbohydrates so that, you know, you can over time, you know, bring the insulin levels down, get the insulin sensitivity up, get your hormonal balance more in, in sync so that you can um, burn fat. And certainly, you know, cardiovascular exercise, you know, aerobic exercise um, is going to help do that, especially with using something like the Maffetone method, low heart rate type. Right. And it's pretty, Dr. Maffetone method is really super easy. It's like 180 minus your age and depending if you've been sick in the past, either 5, 10 or 15. That's correct. So it's, I mean, it's, you can do it in your head. (laughs) Yeah. Tell you the heart rate zones. Right, and, and using that 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 Maffetone method in your recovery days and your easier days is a good way to um, also help drive that. And then we'll talk a little bit about that in the training and lifestyle. But but that's that. These are little things people can do right now to kind of help make that shift. And and oddly enough, what people are going to notice is what they don't notice because when you're fat, using fat, you're more stable. So you don't have the ups and downs, et cetera. And, and one of the ways you do notice is, is that you're going to get more bang for your buck from the carbohydrates when you do use them. Right. Like just this weekend, I was telling Peter before the call that going up hills, um, I just have a lot more power and it's not like I feel like I'm working harder because I don't. I mean, I actually, I feel like I'm working less hard because before, um, I just felt like gravity was my enemy and going up any hill, I just felt like someone just sucked the energy out of me. And the last couple bike rides, I just felt like, like two minutes into the hill, not even two minutes. It's like I started the hill, I would start to feel that energy suck. And then all of a sudden it's like someone turned on the motor and I, I could go up a lot faster and not really trying and passing people, which really, if you know me, I've never passed people on a hill before. So that's a pretty exciting thing. Yeah. So should we go to the next set here? Yeah, so nutrition, yeah. not calories. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is one of the things um, we focus with OFM. We focus on nutritional, nutritional balance. And this is, um, this is sort of the diet section, but, you know, there's so much of an emphasis on on just what's in front of people. It's the calories you need to fuel yourself. Well, and it's, yeah. Ryan and I talk about the quality of the food quality being more, you know, just as important as what the macronutrients or even the micronutrients. The food quality makes a huge difference. Like a grass-fed yeah. cow and a grain-fed cow, you get a steak from each. They're not the same steak. That's correct. That's that's absolutely correct, and and so we make the focus on on nutrition, not calories, because what happens with these with the fat adapted athlete and and 
every one of a, you know, I know a lot of people are not going to believe, have a trouble wrapping their heads around it. It's not that they won't believe it. They just have trouble wrapping their heads around it. But unless you talk to somebody who is actually doing it, you can't imagine it's that good. And even when they tell you, it's hard to believe until you experience it that you're not being held hostage by that next gel or making sure you have to have this many calories per hour. It just, we've just seen that it, it, the calories take care of themselves. It's not, I'm not saying you don't need calories. And on race day, you're not going to use any carbs because we do recommend you use those strategic carbs. But it's all about getting the body. The first thing we, we want to do with OFM is get the body to be as healthy and robust as possible. And so that's done by the nutrition. It's the macronutrient profile, yes, but it's also the micronutrients. It's it's the minerals, it's the fat soluble oils, it's the water or the fat soluble vitamins, the water soluble vitamins, and getting them in that right balance. You know, we're talking about um, you know, this is why we we recommend people like like I was asking you about the liver. I, I make sure that that people eat the whole animal so they're getting organ meat uh, skin and connective tissue along with muscle meat. And bone broth and sardines yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because most people who are doing animal diets, having some animal proteins and fats in them, they tend to have too much protein, too much muscle meat and not enough fat. And in order to absorb that muscle meat protein, you need the, the fat-soluble vitamins that are in the fat. Um, you need the vitamin A, K1, K2, and B that's in the liver in order to be able to really take up the, the the proteins that are in the muscle meat and, and absorb them and, and create more muscle, create more mitochondria. This is one of the things I'm looking at and reading papers on right now is, is mitochondria. And one of the reasons I, I, I stress the nutrition is so that as you build your training along with it, you have the nutrition to build the muscle tissue and the mitochondria, those, those engines inside your cells. And, and when you have the nutrition so you can make that mitochondria, those base things, base nutrition and building blocks, you, you're going to build bigger mitochondria and much more mitochondria per cell. And, and training and stress drive this, but you need, the, you need the building blocks to do that. Right. You know, and the hormones and everything else. So nutrition is just so key. And we, we have a lot of uh, information. We'll be adding more content. We have some um, uh, very doable strategies on there. And and you know, I'm I tend to tell people um, that you know if you're if you can afford to and you have easily accessible sources, doing the organic the, the the organic real organic, not Walmart or or Costco or whatever organic, but the real organic farmers market they're grown on really nutrient rich soils and your your grass fed beef and your 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 not your pastured but but real chickens i tell people you don't want to know what ch- pigs and chickens eat if you want really good eggs right you, you know you'll see, uh you'll, if for folks who are listening if the weston a price leader if you go to weston a price org um dot org they um find a western a price a price leader in your area and their job is to source that information i mean that's what their their job is to do is to find those sources so if you contact them you can find raw milk um pastured eggs pastured chickens cultured um, butter yeah right and so i mean i buy um you sort of have to you know they have cycles of when you can pick up stuff but i i use raw milk and i get pastured eggs and pastured chickens and I buy a side of beef and um, yep. I get my pork from a special butcher. So 
it's not that hard. Um, what it, but if you just go to someone who knows where everything is already. Now, now, so, so, yeah, and that's a good point. The Weston Price Foundation is a great resource for all those things. But, but one of the things I tell people is you want to do that, and we're going to talk about this as a factor of the lifestyle issues. But, but you want to do this, do the grass-fed beef, the pastured eggs, etc., the the raw dairy or the cultured butter, if it's easy and you can afford to do it. Um, but you can get yourself most of the way there just by going to the supermarket. Uh, you know, just, just, you got to cut out all the, the carbs and there's, you know, when you go to whole foods, most of what they have is, is sold as organic, healthy garbage. Right. I mean, because a lot of major corporations have bought up the organic names. Right, and so they're selling grains and 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 you know the crackers, this uh, organic, that, and 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 so you know you're you know that whole concept of shopping around the perimeter, but but you know you, you see so many cereals and crackers and and all kinds of stuff that's you know the carbohydrate load is pretty good high in it, um, you know there's just a lot of uh, stuff. That, right, organic uh, crap is still crap. <laughs> yeah, organic crap is all crap, and a lot of people buy into that unknowingly, and it's it's just a lot of it's still carbs, and your your body sees it as sugar. And in some people, the phytate level in a whole grain will trigger more out of an allergic reaction and shoot their blood sugar and cortisol levels higher. So, you know, sometimes whole grains will backfire on on certain people. So. Um, you know, if you go to the supermarket and, and you, you know, your fresh vegetables and fruit you eat as vegetables, you know, you can use the, 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 the regular finished meats, poultry, et cetera. You're just going to have to supplement with, with fish oil, um, et cetera, to, to balance out your omega-6 and omega-3s. Um, but, you, you know, and you, and you can do that on a budget because, you know, I'm not going to – I don't disagree with you. The real eggs from real chickens, there's a huge difference in the yolk – what's in the yolks and all over store-bought bought, you know, eggs. But when you look at the price of store-bought eggs and people, if somebody's on a budget, right. huge yeah. bang for the buck. And you know, people don't realize that you know, a dozen or 18 eggs or two dozen eggs is, is, a, is a nutritional bargain compared to that box of Special K. Oh, yeah. Eggs are cheap. Uh, you know, I don't know if I told you, the oldest personal training client I had um, was a nutritional researcher. He was 99 years old, and I asked him his secret for health and um, longevity. He said he eats a dozen eggs a week himself. Yep. That was yep. his secret. Yep, yep, yep. So so things like eggs and then fresh meat, whether it's poultry or fish or, or, or beef or pork, you know, the supermarkets use these as a loss leader. And so they'll, they'll put them on sale to drive people in to buy all the crap in the middle of the aisles. And so you can, you can, you can buy – if you shop the sales for the produce in season, produce in season, meats as loss leaders, and eggs and, and fresh dairy, you can do this on the cheap. And then if you know how to supplement with the right fish oil and all that, you can get yourself 80% of the way – there and then that other twenty percent is is going you know to where you can you have access to the grass fed beef and the and the pastured eggs and poultry and all that it's just 
it just you know it just depends on what your situation is because you know a lot of your a lot of your listeners have professions and busy lifestyles and you know they don't have access to it uh, at the same level say you would Stephanie right so, and I agree and it's you know it's sort of a transitional thing I didn't start out getting eggs from the the farmer it's just that you know you start learning more. And then her eggs are really not any more expensive than eggs, organic eggs. And then I just buy like six dozen at a, at a time. But we started out, you know, it's a it's a transition thing. You know, once yep. you start like eating more of a protein and stuff, you know, and, and changing your diet away from grains. And then you look for better sources. So I agree 100%. Start with the basics. Yep. And yep. if you want to go crazy, then you know that's just one little step extra. Yeah, and and the other thing that's a bargain is is fresh liver. Fresh liver is like one of those things they give away. Um, oh, it's super cheap. Yeah. And, and and you know if you can find fresh liver, fresh calves liver, fresh fresh chicken livers, you know you cannot between the eggs and liver you can't get more nutrient density, nutrient bioavailability than that. It's kind of it's kind of odd how. The supermarkets give away the stuff that's really nutrient dense, and they price the commodity things that are, you know, nu- nutritional wastelands. Right, and soup bones, I mean, are huge yeah. nutrition, uh, nutritionally dense, and a lot of times, if you can't find soup bones in the grocery store because they're a little hard to find, you can go to an Asian market or, yeah, a, a, you know, a Hispanic or Hispanic types market yep. because they still cook with those traditional foods and you can find fish heads and yep. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, what I was also going to say is one of my little tricks that I do, and I actually told this to, to Kayla McDaniel. Um, do you know Kayla? I don't. Yeah, she's the naughty nutritionist. She's one of the key Western Price members. Oh, no, I I know the... You know the name. She's yeah. she's the one that... that that wrote the whole soy story. Well, I was telling her this story. And she says, "Oh man, that's a great idea." Well, you know the rotisserie chickens. Uh huh. Everybody has. Well, what what I do is we'll have one of those a week, at least one a week, and because it's just you know it's quick and easy. You can get right. a dinner on the table in twenty minutes, right? Right. You know, steam some broccoli, and you have a rotisserie chicken. Well, what we do in our household is we'll have that chicken for dinner, and then I'll take scrape off whatever meat I I can for you know leftovers, etc., and then throw throw the carcass in a small stock pot with two or three quarts of, of water, two teaspoons of sea salt, and let it simmer overnight. That's exactly what I do, Peter. And yeah, and, <laughs> I do the and exact same thing because yeah. it makes it easy. It's very easy to make broth that way. You don't have to be sourcing soup bones or anything like no. that. You you can have it. And then what I do is I'll let it go overnight. And those those chickens, because they're so young and small, because those ten those rotisserie chickens tend to be small, the bones are soft. So you crush it all down. You let it go for another hour. Strain it. And then I always add a tea- tablespoon of gelatin to it too, uh, to beef it up for the gelatin content for your joints and all that. Cool it, scrape off the oils because because the chickens are corn fed. They're going to have a lot of polyunsaturates in those oils. That you know, once it cools, you scrape that oil off. And then sometimes I'll have it cool as a as a savory gelatin, or I'll heat it, or I'll use it for a soup or sauce base. And so it's a very easy, quick way. And of course, you do it too because it's it's just it's it's dirt simple. Right. And, I don't I don't uh, add the gelatin, and I do take off the fat, but yep. um, I just use it for. What I do is add salt, and then I take a thermos to work, 
Yep. So in between, if I feel hungry, I'll drink some of the the bone broth because it's like pretty satiating. I can't usually I can't drink a whole thermos in a day. Yep. Well, and that's that's key for replenishing the mineral salts in your bones and your liver. And you know, oddly enough, I was talking with Kayla about this, and there's going to be some research on it. But but you'd think bone broth is full of calcium, but it doesn't have a lot of bioavailable calcium. But it has a whole lot of other things in it. You know, collagen proteins, uh, gelatin. Um, other trace tracement, yeah, yeah, all the things in bioavailable forms that that you know. And if you're doing the diet the way we're talking about, you're getting plenty of calcium from your fresh meat, your fresh dairy, your dairy, your fresh vegetables. So there isn't an issue. What I think so, is crazy is people spend a fortune for glucosamine and chondroitin, and if they went and made some bone broth from either you know chicken bones, they have a lot of cartilage, or yep. the beef ho- the hoof. From, yep. You know, you can get knuckle bones from uh, Asian market for four bucks and it makes a ton of soup stock and it makes a lot of really good gelatin. Uh, oh, and you know, I had I had um, what they call sopa de pata yesterday um, for brunch and it's 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 the knuckle soup. And and my my son, who's 18 months, he loved it. And you get that really dit, delicious, rich gelatin off the joint. And it's just so good for you in terms of your your joint health and re, re, rehabilitation. So that when you're doing out there exercising all the time, running, cycling, swimming, you, you know your joints just stay in just really great shape because you're giving them that those building blocks um, to maintain the the tissues. Right, and less cellulite so. for those ladies. <laughs> so. Yep, absolutely. Now. Um, before we finish with the nutrition thing, here's one of the things that we're observing, and it transfers into the stomach and gut health too, but one of the things we observe is, and, and you probably are noticing this too now with your thing is your weight starting to, you know, that weight, rapid weight loss is starting to plateau, and you, you're still losing weight, but it's not quite as... Right. Yeah. That, I have noticed that. It's not near as fast as it was. Right. Now, now there's a couple things here that's happening. When you, when you look, as you go along this progression... I tell, and I, and I want your listeners to know this as much as I'm telling you. Go by how you, how your clothes fit, and what people are asking about you, how you look and all that. What they're saying, you look like you lost a lot of weight. Don't go by the scale because as you get to where you are, you you've dumped most of the fat and water weight. But as you continue to lose that fat and water weight, you start to gain lean muscle mass and bone density. So you will look like you lost more weight than the scale saying. So don't go by what the scale says right. because you'll be disappointed. I had a friend actually this weekend tell me, he goes, you look better than I've ever seen you look. And I weighed, when I did Ironman Arizona in 2007, I had a ton of inflammation. And I weighed probably 15 pounds less than I do now. And I looked a lot bigger. <laughs> so yep, a, lot, yep. a lot heavier. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen some data, unpublished data on DEXA scans where people before and after, and that's exactly what happens, is they lose the fat and water weight and they pick up lean body mass. And, and like somebody like you where, you, where I suspect you are right now on the spectrum, it's only going to get better. And, okay. and, and so, and that's where the nutrition goes. But, but the second thing I wanted to talk about here as we finish up on the nutrition, not calories, what we're observing 
is once you get all those factors in place and I tell people, go by, don't measure your ketones, don't measure your blood sugar, don't be, you know, following the numbers, go by your hunger triggers, how much calories you feel you need, how hungry you are after a weekend of working out, um, um, you know, like, like, before you know how a lot of people if they they do a race on a weekend or they work out all weekend do a brick on the weekend or run run a marathon right. they're they're like wanting to eat the house down the whole but that's definitely something was different i did my bike yeah. ride this weekend and i ate um i like candy bars for my spray, my nutrition because for me it tastes better than a goo and yep. it, it makes me feel goos make my mouth break out in canker sores so um, I ate two candy bars for five hours of riding and um, total time, not, that includes stops and, you know, yep. and um, after I was done, I wasn't even hungry. I didn't yep. feel like I needed a ton of food. I wasn't and, hungry at all. Right, right. And then after you, let's say two or three after hours after that night, you have a nice substantial meal. But But what happens is you have that weekend of working out or a race in the week, you know how the week after you're like wanting to eat the house down. Everybody, right. You know, the opposite occurs. You're, you're right. actually ham, hunger suppressed. Right. I noticed that too. Yeah. 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 And that's because your body now is in that fat burning state. And so it's thinking, oh, we're going to do this again today. So it's releasing fat calories into circulation. It's metabolizing that fat. And because it's, it's, it's doing that to meet the anticipated load, all of a sudden you got all this this energy being metabolized so it's it's suppressing your hunger where so it's 180 degrees different so what i'm leading into is when you get the nutrition down really that nutritional balance and the right nutrients right we're seeing literally a 200 to 600 calorie a day net efficiency gain so you know how they say you need like a woman needs like 2000 calories a day weight stable calorie right. thing it's like it's less and depending on that person, it could be 200 calories less, it could be 300, it could be 600. Like a big male might need 3,000 or 3,500 calories. Well, that male may only need like 2,700 calories instead of 3,500 calories. We're seeing this and, and, and we're not, I'm not taking data on it, but it just seems to be very consistent that, that, that with the nutrition dialed in, your body becomes very efficient. So it doesn't need all those calories day in, day out. And I'm not saying if you're doing a high volume of extra, you're still going to need a lot of calories, but you're going to need 200 to 600 calories less than if you are on a, a carb diet. Because the physiology, when you eat a lot of carbs, your body, because you can't handle all those carbs at once, your body has to deal with them in some ways that are very inefficient. So, I, Well, I also look like a puffy mess. <laughs> like yeah. after, before, if I eat a bunch of goose, if I did a race and ate a bunch of goos, um, the next day I would have canker sores in my mouth and I would be retaining water like crazy. I would be really puffy yep. and I looked horrible. Yep. Yep. And now it's totally different. Right. It's so, so that's one of the key things is you're, you're going to, people are going to see that they don't, they don't need to eat as much. And that's one of the things that, that I'm trying to, figure out with this nutrition thing because it's almost it's kind of funny because how much how well you can perform on on relatively little you know you're still going to take in calories you're still on race day you're still going to take in a lot of carb calories but it's still a lot less than what you normally would take in or what right. the what the current published literature takes in so that's kind of where we are and and so I hope that kind of helps people wrap their head around the fact that it's really about the nutrition not the calories I think you did a good job of explaining it. Yeah. Now, 
Okay, so we'll go to the stomach and gut health, and this is a this is a real rat hole. So where would you like me to begin? Right. Well, we've done a, a whole podcast on the microbiome in your gut. Yep. So I imagine this is a lot like, you know, ima- fixing your g- gut biome. Yep. Yeah. Well, and, and here's the thing. Basically, I want people to to, to kind of imagine your epithelium which is your enterocytes your villi it's it's the cells in your inside your stomach your intestines and, and think of that as sort of a rainforest canopy which in within which resides your biome so it's not just about the biome it's about the the, the you know the forest canopy that where your biome resides and we're actually going to see some published literature from a Western state study done in 2012 where they were doing cheek cell swabs, which have cells that are very similar. And these cells, the epithelium cells, if you spread out your stomach, your epithelium um, in the stomach and guts, the colon, the small intestine, the surface area of, your, of a human epithelium equals the, the surface area of three football fields. That's pretty impressive. Okay, but that but the funny thing is, a human the human digestive system is is really not that big compared to say a a, a ruminant or a, a true omnivore like a pig or a, or a bear. I mean, we don't we don't have a large colon. We have a very long small intestine, and we don't have that large a stomach because we're you know we're used to eating more concentrated forms of food by through cooking through through animal fats and meats. But but anyway. You want to you you want to make sure that that epithelium is really robust so that it can it can house the biome. So, um, and the way we came to this being a tier of the OFM pyramid was when I first started this. I had a lot of people laughing at me, but some of my early adopters were were people who just ended up coming to me because people had told them about this the, the whole Vespa thing, and they were coming to me about using Vespa because they'd run out of options because their stomachs and guts were always going out you know it was like right. it was like you know their races would you know like John Olson, who briefly hold the held the American record for the hundred miles for about six weeks last year, he said to me he said to me, Peter, you have no idea it wasn't a matter of if my stomach would go out, it would be just how bad and if it would throw my race but and I think that people don't realize like your health starts in your gut you know, yep. your your overall health if you're not absorbing nutrients um like everything your gut is attached you have more brain cells in your gut than you do in your brain it in, it affects yep. your mood it yep. a- yeah and so so you there stephanie yes i'm listening yeah 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 so you know to start with you you have the two things the epithelium which is your cells, and then you have the biome. And like you said, the biome has its own sort of brain too. There's a lot of stomach, there's a lot of brain-gut communication uh, and hormonal signaling, and even hormones are produced by the biome. So you want to preserve these things, and that's why having these nutrient-dense um, foods and fat-soluble foods and having fermented foods um, are all really important and, and, you know, really your biome is a big biodigester and the more robust that epithelia is and the more robust your biome is and in balance, meaning the balance of, of bacteria and fungus and erythrocytes, that you, you actually can tolerate things. So while I'm not a big fan of grains and especially like wheat, 
I, I think that if somebody tolerates grains well and tolerates wheat and gluten well, the occasional hit of it isn't the end of the world because their stomach and gut can take that on a, on a, on an occasional basis. Whereas if you do it all the time, you're gonna you're going to impact that severely, and that's where you see IBS, Crohn's, or celiacs. You know these inflammatory diseases. You may you may well have been on that path. Right. Well, uh, I didn't have good digestion. Yeah. <laughs> like my gut was messed up, and my I've noticed the huge difference in the size of my gut because my stomach always stunk stuck out, even though I was leaner. Um, I looked like I always had a big gut because I imagine because of all the inflammation. Well, part of its inflammation, part of its storage of fat by the liver, right there in the in the midsection. But the other side, the other side is 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 when you're doing a high carb diet on a on a endurance athlete type of of lifestyle, your your chances are you're going to have a, a fairly distended colon because you're you're literally putting a lot of crap down there. Yeah, my colon and, was distended. Yeah. <laughs> And so, you know, you know, I talk about this stuff and we'll talk about here, you know, when you get this right and you get the magnesium right, you know, the size of your stools and the ease at which they come out is a whole different thing from before in the high carb days where where a lot of people have to supplement with fiber and all the stuff that has to be done. I mean, I've, I've, I've heard of some ultra endurance athletes, you know, they have to take, you know, they, they pre prophylactically take Imodium before a race so that they don't have a an issue. You know, it's it's just some of the some of the wild things people do to to, you know, make sure their their stomach and gut doesn't come apart during that dur- during, you know, competition. So you wanna, you know, these these this this epithelial cells, they they, they turn over fast. They're very subject to to oxidative stress. So if you're eating a lot of carbohydrates, you're going to create a lot of oxidative stress. You're not going to have the nutrition. In, you know, in conjunction with that oxidative stress, you have no nutrition and building blocks to keep building down the forest. You're you're burning down, and eventually, you know, you're 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 killing off your biome that that's that's quote unquote good, and you're shifting the biome towards more bacteria that are going to feed on carbohydrates, and then you you get things like candida. Um, overgrowth and and things like that and and so it can it can manifest itself in a whole host of ways like with you probably one of the things you saved you was getting this information but also the fact that you know all of a sudden you couldn't even put goose in your mouth you know the first place your most sensitive area was your probably the the cheek cell swabs the cheek cells in your mouth that were right. were being you know burned up before it got you know, before your gut, you know, even though your gut wasn't in good shape. So, you know, it just happens in different people. And like I said, some people can get celiac, some people get IBS, some people get Crohn's. You know, there's this whole host of variables, not just genetics that are going to, you know, play into this. And and so, you know, with most athletes, if they're doing the conventional high-carb diet, it's not really a question of when, of if, it's when they're going to start to see some sort of stomach gut related issues start to manifest itself right yeah and it's you know if you're doing endurance sports for longevity you want to have the diet that's going to give you longevity as well right and you want to be fat burning too it's like i think i said in the last podcast if you're doing you know any volume of exercise burning glucose you're probably doing yourself more long-term harm than good whereas when you're burning fat and got the nutrition dialed it's a it's a whole nother state and you're you're now starting to see that 
that shape, how that's taking shape in your own performance. Right. It's a yeah. good, good thing. So, okay. So now we're going to go to the training and lifestyle and, and we bunch this together because they're so interconnected because most of us have day jobs. Most of us have families and relationships and, you know, other things going on. So, you know, you have to sort of have them both sort of together yet, you know, we break them down into two things, but, um, I want I, I I did it this way because I want people to know that training and lifestyle are so, so intricately intertwined. Well, right, because stress has a, a huge effect on your stress and your sleep, your relationships with your family. They affect your hormones just as much as anything else. And, and they affect the body's ability to burn fat. And and you know when we're talking about optimizing fat metabolism, you have to be relaxed. You have to be. Just, chill you can't be on always high alert because that's cortisol cortisol will shift you to sugar you know put you in that fight or flight mode so you want to you want to be able to manage stress lifestyle and be in a relaxed quietly confident um state so that you can can burn the fat so that's why you want to look at your lifestyle and see what you got to address so you're not always like stressing out and this is why i don't I don't tend to look at Matt. I don't want people weighing their foods or thinking about everything they put in their mouth and, you know, overanalyzing nutrient labels because that kind of lifestyle is just, it's crazy. Right. You know, we go by these guidelines. Same thing with, you know, your relationships and you, you got to know, know how to balance that with your training. So, you know, if, if you're doing all this great training, but you got your wife or husband, constantly on your case about it that's not really well balanced right and that's what I tell my clients my clients uh, in graduate school one of my clients and she she has a test and I said don't don't work out whenever you're studying for your test like unless it's going to be a stress reliever and you're relaxing and it's helping you but if you feel like you're stressed to get your workout in don't do your workout <laughs> Ex- exactly and that's that's one of the things is balancing all that and then then all the part of the training that we, we want to talk about in relation specifically in relation to OFM is is there's the training and and the conventional way of what we're looking for in the training whether it's base training or interval or you know speed workout or whatever those are all your conventional training and volume and whatever you're trying to do in training from the the conventional approach but in terms of OFM we want people to think also about how to tweak that training so that in addition to training to get out of it what the conventional approach is going to is is focusing on getting out of it you're also tweaking your body to increase that fat burning envelope okay right so so one of the key things we we stress to everybody is to do the long slow warm up the building warm up so that you can get your your blood vessels arteries capillaries dilated to get the blood in to get the blood out so you can get the oxygen in the carbon dioxide out so that you have that capacity if you start out cold and go hard you're going to be burning a significant amount more amount more of glucose than than you should Whereas if you warm up and get everything dilated and get your lungs going, you're going to be able to burn more fat as you start to push that envelope. Um, and so, you know you have a lot of people who are very driven, 
and they like to do their workouts and they and their their time is very constricted and if they they think that okay I got an hour or two hours to do this workout I'm going to go as hard as I can for that time period because I want to burn the most calories and get the most out of my workout well it doesn't work that way they need to do the warm up and they need to do at least a short cool down in order to tweak that workout for the OFM well and that's something that I have like a beef with everybody's obsessed with calories they're yep. like, oh, I want to burn calories, but they don't care about, like, what are you doing to your hormones? Like, yep. what are you doing to your uh, your gut biome? What are you doing to, to your mitochondria or your cells? I mean, there's more to it than just calories in, calories out. And that and that's exactly why uh, we're talking about this training aspect. So you want part of that training aspect to be focused on, on expanding that aerobic envelope. So when you're doing your base training, you warm up. But even when you're doing your high-intensity workouts – High-intensity workouts are necessary for OFM because you can't just do Maffetone all the time. You have to right. do Maffetone with some, some higher intensity because when you, you've got to get the heart rate up. You've got to push the lungs, the cardiovascular system so that you, know, you can expand people, that aerobic yeah. envelope. Dr. Maffetone even you know, promotes doing intervals too. It's not like yeah. he – he doesn't think you should do intensity training. It's just, you know, you're building the base through the, the 180 formula type heart rate, but he still has intervals in there. I've seen some of his yep. training I, plans. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I know he does, but a lot of people, you know, think Maffetone uh, low heart rate training is that's all you do. Right. No, no, that's not the only thing. It's yeah. just that the thing is when you get your heart rate, if you've done Maffetone right, whenever you do push yourself, you're really pushing yourself because your your base level heart rate's pretty low. To get it higher, you really have to do some high-intensity intervals. That, that's correct, and, and you always warm up for those, and you do them, right. and then what you should see happening is when you recover from that bout of exercise, whether it's two days or three days from there, your your lower heart rate base metabolic rate for say a certain exercise your either your pace or your wattage or whatever metric you're using should be you should be doing better at the same heart rate than you were before right and that's how you expand that 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 envelope so 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 people need to keep an eye on their training protocols you know and okay and thinking how do we okay what do i need to do to tweak this this training just a bit to still get the goal of the training uh session out in terms of the conventional goals but also what am i doing here to tweak it and like i said one of the keys is always the long slow warm up um and the other thing is making sure you do get that regular um higher intensity stuff but always in a recover in, in a fairly recovered state you know if you're if you're not recovered and you're not getting sleep and your heart rate just goes right through the roof immediately when you start any kind of intensity, you you're, you just got to not do it. Right. That's yeah. a sign that you're getting into adrenal fatigue. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's whenever you're yeah. like, oh, you really are on the wrong path. <laughs> so. yep. yep, yep, yep. Uh, or something, something's off, you know. Yeah, right. You or just... maybe you're you're coming down with the bug. I mean, there's lots of reasons your heart rate or you had a stressful – incident at work and you probably needed to take it easier you got in a fight with someone but those are all signs that if your heart rate spikes then then you you've got issues 
yep, yep, yep. And and you don't need a heart rate meter to tell you that. I mean, a heart rate meter will will will, will reiterate what you already know because you'll you know you'll feel like you're going like crazy and you're going nowhere. Right. So, let's move into hydration because this is an important thing to, for us to cover, especially with um, OFM. Right. I think this is really important because people. Uh, get this wrong with the, the sodium and it, it causes a lot of problems. Yeah. And, and, and I think the first thing to talk about is, is like with the base fat adapted metabolic state and saturated fats, we've also been taught to be scared of salt. Um, and this, this applies conventionally to the, um, you know, the uh, high carb diet um, because when you have a high carb diet, and you have high salt, your blood pressure will go through the roof. But if you're, if you become a true low carb, like you are, where, where you start to, you know, burn fat as your, your main aerobic fuel source, you start to excrete sodium and you actually need to bring sodium back in to uh, maintain blood volume. Otherwise you get these symptoms of what they call the Atkins flu, you know, the, the dizziness, the no energy, and it's all due to low blood volume. You means your blood thickens and all that. And so, um, you know, a lot of people who are doing endurance stuff, it's, you know, they're doing it during the time of year when it's actually warm to hot. So, you know, when you shift to burning fat as fuel, hydration becomes even more critical because you're not pulling off a lot of fluid from your glycogen stores, because when you store glycogen, you store four times the water per molecule as, as, as the glycogen molecule. So, and that's one of the reasons why glycogen stores are so limited, because if you could store the same amount of glycogen as you could store in fat, you'd weigh 400 pounds. So, um, so anyway, you have to, we have to focus more on hydration and it's, it's quite doable, but, um, this is, this is one of the things that, that we're seeing is that, you're going to sweat more because you're releasing more energy when you start to metabolize I fat. noticed that. And, you know, before I used to not have to drink a lot of water. And I'm in Arizona, so it's pretty hot. Yep. I noticed that I drink more water and I, I do sweat more. And I actually feel better. Like before, I would feel bloated and not want to drink more water. That's so right. I, yeah. I'm able to take in more hydration. Yeah. And, and because you're not dependent on – because you're not, you know – having to utilize your digestive system to, to get calories, um, you can do that as long as you have the right balance of water to electrolytes because your, your body doesn't process just the water. It processes the electrolyte. It has to have that right balance. So I do use it, electrolytes too. Yeah. And, and the main, the main electrolyte should be sodium, um, principally in the form of sodium chloride because over 80% of the electrolyte profile in your sweat, is salt. So right, and you taste it on your lips. <laughs> that's that's right. That's why sweat tastes salty. Yeah, and and so you know, and and the reason people for shorter workouts, you know, people who say aren't doing super endurance stuff where they're out there for five hours, three to five hours, you can get by an hour or two without with by just drinking water because your body will recruit the mineral salts salts from your liver and your bones. Okay, and this is why we do the bone broth. This is why we, you know, actively focus on nutrition because you want to replenish that. And so, but you know, if you're doing this stuff over and over again with high volume of exercise, and particularly if you're prolonging the duration past that one hour level, you, you know, you want to start out using the electrolytes. Right, okay. I do, and there's a lot of them out there. 
Yep, so, yep. There's a lot of good products out there. And, but one of the things we're seeing, particularly if you're in the warmer or the hotter areas, is the amount of salt or sodium chloride or sodium people need to take in is really high. And I've, I've, I've talked with guys like Max Testa and Jonathan Edwards, who are coach, you know, the sports physicians. Max is with, uh, I think, BMC the pro cycling team and Jonathan's uh, coaching AG2R Mondial and and a few of the triathlon coaches I work with. And we're seeing some incredible salt, you know, sodium intake levels, you know, right around 800 to 1200 milligrams an hour for an average person. And if, if you're a big guy, like you're six foot, six foot two, six foot four, you know, the 180 pound and up type of human, you know, it could be up around 15, 1800 milligrams an hour. You know, just just you know the kind of you salt. You add like an electrolyte plus like mineral salt, like Himalayan salt or sea salt. Yeah, yeah, and but yeah, or like you know, there's things like salt stick, or even at the right. drugstore they sell salt pills for working in the heat. Right. You know, you just, salt tabs. Yeah. Yeah. So any of these electrolytes that are out there have a pretty good um, electrolyte profile, but if it's really hot and you're burning fat, you need to supplement a little bit. Right. Uh, and the other thing I want to tell people in the hydration is one of the biggest errors that a lot of people make, and it's once again, it's they've been led to believe this is the whole concept of prehydration. You know that forty-eight. Why? To 20, I mean, yeah. That, that is actually works against you because when you prehydrate, you not only get bloated, but you start urinating, and and people drink water, and what happens is all that reservoir of easily recruitable mineral salts that are you in your liver. Oh. You don't you deplete them, and then you go in your race, and all of a sudden you can't recruit that from your body, and then you have to rely on your exogenous intake, and it just doesn't work. Does Professor Noakes talk about that in his book Waterlogged? I haven't read the book, but I know yeah, he talks yes, a lot about does, that. Does talk about that in terms of the prehydration? All the only thing that I don't the, see. The thing is, is when Tim wrote that, that was before he had his low carb epiphany. Right. So he's probably just like. You know, he said everything I wrote about nutrition in the Laura running, tear it up and burn it because it's wrong. Um, you know, he says that now actively because he's he said, you know, too many carbs is a bad thing. He's probably going to have to rewrite waterlog information about nutrition. Yeah, because you, you don't want to wait till you drink the thirst. You do want to add a lot of salt in there when you're fat adapted because you really do need to stay ahead of it because. You know, as you as you know with your own experience, when you're out there and say you're doing the bike and everything's going just really good and you're rocking along, you're sweating boatloads. You have to stay on top of that and replace that fluid um, as fast as you're getting rid of it. Otherwise, right? Because gonna... I went through like double what I normally drink. Yep, and 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 if you do that and keep the mineral salts up with it, you feel great. It's just amazing. And that's one of the keys to getting the high performance out of fat burn is, is having that hydration spot on. Yeah, I felt, I felt great. It's like I'm a different person. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, it is. And so, so when it's hot, we suggest to people to focus more on hydration and less on calories because the hotter it gets, your body's going to downregulate blood flow to the internal organs and upregulate blood flow from the muscles to the skin surface to to cool you. And when it when it does that, you're going to lose some blood volume through sweat. So you have to be actively replacing that. And then, and if you keep the the ratio of water to electrolytes just right, just the osmotic potential will s literally easily suck that 
water in through your digestive system to, to, to keep your maintain blood volume. Whereas when it's hot like that and the blood flow is reduced to your or internal organs, if you take in too many calories, your system can shut down. Right. The calories yeah. can start to ferment in your gut and that's going to require more things and then things can spiral downhill real, real quickly. But but just just to finalize, just people need to be aware that when it's hot, they got to stay on top of this. Otherwise, they can become hypovolemic, which is low blood volume, and and you can actually be hyponatremic and hypovolemic at the same time. Meaning too much water, not enough electrolytes, and your blood volume is contracting because your body's not going to bring that water in because you don't have enough salt to bring it in. Yeah, that's not a that's not a good state. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's it's a terrible state. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but when it's cold now, now of course when it's cold and you can cool yourself, you know, people don't need to, to be as focused on hydration. So, you know, it's, people need to be be aware of these things. Right. It's sort of funny. It's like you change your diet, and it's like everything changes. Yep. Yep. So next is Vespa. The, yeah. The role of Vespa. The uh, the first time I saw Vespa was what we, you know, I told you when I first met you that my friend Stephanie Bootner had a yep. little poster up Vespa in her, she's a massage therapist, and it, um, and just the, initially the idea of wasp being ground up was a little, I was like, how do they do that? <laughs> but um, it's pretty good stuff. It tastes good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of people now. This is a the, the main ingredient for fat burning in Vespa is the wasp extract, and it's a it's a naturally occurring peptide. And for those of you out there without the organic chemistry, um, peptides are molecules, uh, principally composed of amino acids, but not entirely. That are smaller than proteins, but they're not free amino acids. And we call it amino acid supplement, but it's not free amino acids. It's it's a naturally occurring peptide. So you know, naturally occurring peptides, uh, bioavailability and certain characteristics of them are well studied. And so they're, they're, they're much more bioavailable. There's, there's some products out there. Um, one's called Hornet Juice and BAM, and I'll even talk about it here. They're much cheaper. And, and when you go to their sites, they make it sound like it's the same stuff, but it's not. They're, they're basically free amino acids um, that have been, you know, made to be in the same amino acid compositional profile as, as Vespa. Do they use and, the same? Do they still use the wasps? Nope, nope, nope. They're using just off-the-shelf synthesized amino acids. So what you do is you hydrolyze the peptide, and then you get the you can derive the amino acid compositional profile. So you know it's got this much choline, this much lysine, this much. So they they what they did was they used processed synthetic. Uh, amino acids. It would be like hydrolyzing, say, uh, uh, a steak, and then into its component amino acids and trying to, you know, recreate a steak from, yeah. you know. And we've your, seen what those fake meats look like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, so you know, uh, yeah, not quite. And and actually, I've had several athletes who've been on both, and they they say the Vespa works a whole lot better using less, and and even some of the papers there's one paper that was published by the company that developed uh this synthetic product where they actually talked about the actual naturally occurring peptide that we use and it always worked better 
much more better using less and and the way they worded it in the in the paper was was that their product therefore works because it mimics what the naturally occurring thing does even though it doesn't have the same level of action well is yeah. that why you have a little screw top so you because you don't necessarily need to drink it all well we want you though those are uh pre prepackaged for the you to drink it at one serving so we do we do recommend you do drink it all it's just i i think it's just because of its liquid nature you know it's like a right. juice can stuff so you you want to drink it all that way but you know it, you know and that's the thing we're using a naturally occurring peptide minimally processed so it, it you know our our product costs a lot of money to make and so it makes it very expensive but you know, when you get when you use the product, you see the value. And when you, you do the whole OFM program, a lot of the people who are doing OFM say that it's actually much cheaper because they're they're not eating all this food, they're not taking a ton of supplements, and they just feel better. I have a question about Vespa about using it because I um, I was under the impression that it works best for endurance stuff because my husband. Does, he's a cyclist as well, and he does bike races, and he he wanted to use it for short things, and I'm like, no, save it for something a couple hours long, because it, that's where you'll get the most benefit, and um, and that's when I generally use it for anything that's two hours or, or longer. So do you see a benefit if it's for a shorter time period? Well, this is kind of interesting. If you go to our success page, you can read the story about Alexei Yagudin. Uh, He was a Russian figure skater who we sponsored in 2002. Okay. A men's figure skating long program is less than four minutes. Okay. Okay. So he trained and and performed on using Vespa. Okay. And so that year – by training and performing and training was really the key. And I'll, I'll tell you why in a second he won, he not only won the Salt Lake city games with perfect scores. I mean, all his scores were either six Oh or five, nine. I mean, nobody's ever had the scores he's had. And, and I think the European or the world championship, he got in a short course, he got perfect scores from all the judges. He won every competition he entered that year. I mean, it was, it, there's been never, never so far, never a performance like was it. Was he but. eating a low carb diet too, or was no, he, no, he was, he was just eating, doing the best he was doing a normal diet, but I'm sure it had plenty of protein and fat. He wasn't doing a low fat diet, but he was training uh, and using the Vespa. Now, now the metrics for endurance, the metrics are pretty clear because you know, you're taking in less calories and you're not bonking. And, and these are things right. that are, that we can put hard metrics on. But, but when you shift to fat as fuel and you got ketones going and gluconeogenesis going, you become blood sugar stable. And so for things that sports like riding a crit or doing hockey or anything that requires. Right. My son plays lacrosse. Lacrosse, okay, where motor skills are really sharp. The first thing to fall off before before an athlete even senses fatigue is your sharp motor skills. So, like in Alexi's case, when he was practicing his figure skating, he could do his maneuvers longer and get them down better because in figure skating, the coach watches the the student 
just as much to get him to do the maneuvers, but also to see if he's getting sloppy. Because as soon as they get sloppy, they pull him off the ice because they're either going to do the maneuver wrong. Right, you don't want to train or the nervous system to right, do something incorrectly. Right, they're right. either going to do it incorrectly or they're going to fall and hurt themselves. Right. So you get that he was able to stay blood sugar stable and keep that high level of, of motor skills and not just the endurance. Oh, so, cool. So it, it works. It's just it's – just, you know, as you're noticing with the Vespa and the fat adaptation, it's it's becomes much more subtle. You know that that mental focus, the mental, you know, you're just you're just more in the zone, even in endurance. That's a much more subtle, much more objective metric to put on. So it's it's a little harder to 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 identify. Whereas if you used to have to take in two to three hundred calories, and now you're only taking in a hundred or hundred and fifty. That's right, a pretty that's hard pretty metric. Significant and. And yeah. not needing to take, like, I didn't feel like I needed to take in any yep. any more calories. I just did because I was, we were stopped and that was a good time to. Yeah. And another thing about the Vespa now, now I want people to know that a lot of people use Vespa on just their regular diet and they won't switch. And they don't believe in the, those, this thing. A lot of, and I think a lot of those people are just so addicted to the carbs and in the middle of the season that anytime they back off on the carbs, they notice it. But for a lot of people, Vespa works pretty darn well just alone. But but we notice when people commit to the whole OFM program and take the time to get themselves fat adapted, the Vespa works synergistically. That's why it's part of that tier of of the OFM pyramid. And one of the things we see now, one of the reasons you know Vespa works really well is the carbs are going to work even better because you know when you use Vespa, it's like like we say, what you're going to notice is what you don't notice. You know, you don't have the ups and downs in energy, the mental fog. You're not famished afterwards. You're not sore the next day. You just think you had a great day. You know, right. it's like you, you're saying about your rides now. It's like you're passing people, but you don't feel like you're working that hard. So people tend not to notice that because they're not getting like amped up because they took a Vespa, like just like if they took a Red Bull or a caffeinated gel. Okay. Right. Caffeine and gel, you feel like it's, when it hits, you feel it. <laughs> so yeah, good. yeah, yeah. You get all jittery, but with Vespa, you're just like chill and you're just like, okay, let's go. So yeah, I felt like I could shift. It was like a car shifting to lower gear where I just had more power. That's what I felt right. like more than like I more well, than like I put on like the gas. Yeah. Right. You're like shifting into overdrive, so your RPMs go down, but your speed goes up. Right. That's what I felt like. More than like if, you know, a gel or sugar, you push on the gas and then you go faster. I didn't feel, I felt like I shifted gears instead of put on the gas. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's the thing. So the carbs, so one of the things we, we tell people is, is you know, the Vespa is going to work because the carbs will work like they never worked before. And that's why I was telling you earlier, now try a gel 10 minutes before you hit that hill and, and try and hammer the hill. And see what happens because we see that consistently is – and what I think is happening in a fat-adapted athlete is the Vespa keeps you in that really high, super high fat burn. It locks you into that at the same time you're taking that hit of carbs because normally that hit of carbs will produce a, a bigger insulin response and kind of knock back that fat burn in order to drive blood sugar down. And now what we're seeing is this – thing that's driving the results we're seeing because one of the things we're seeing with the athletes that are following the, the OFM is that they're, win, they're winning races, they're setting records, you know, like, like, you know, American records, course records, world records, you know, at least in the ultra running field. And, and we've got some pretty, pretty high level triathletes now getting on board with the whole thing. And so Do you think a lot of it's in the ultra field that ultra 
athletes had noticed previously that like that fat adaptation just tends to work better because I've read a, a lot about um, ultra um, athletes like Nikki Kimball. Um, yep. She she's definitely take on the fat adaptation and um, and others that it just that tends to work better. And then whenever they add the Vespa, it's like, oh, well, this is something that works well with the fat adaptation. Yeah, she just won ran, one rabbit run, rabbit run, and uh, you know, with a very competitive field, and she smoked, she smoked all the girls. Yeah, she's was pretty ten- impressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and she even had an asthma attack on this race. Oh wow! Real bad one, first time in a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She didn't have her nebulizer with her at the time, so you know she still won. But anyway, um, so the carbs work better, and what we think is the Vespa keeps you locked in, so that you're putting those carbs in on top of that really super high fat burning base that's that's derived by the synergy of Vespa and fat adaptation. Well, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So strategic carbs. So the, um, yeah, so that's the next, next level of the pyramid is the strategic carbs. And, um, this is where you can, you know, if, you know, if you're not exercising and you've listened to Jimmy Moore you know, he talks about that you can't have carbohydrates, in, um, but this is a different sort of situation because you're using them to, to promote your endurance, which I had this wrong too because I didn't know. I thought, well, if I'm doing a ketogenic diet, I, which I didn't have right because of the protein before, um, I needed to have something different like coconut oil or um, or something like that for my endurance. Yeah. Fuel. Yep. So, yeah. So, so the strategic carbs is, we're talking about concentrated carbs. Okay. Concentrated carbs sources, whether they're from food sources or from what we call robot fuel, you know, gel, shop blocks, sports drinks, um, you know, and, and, and strategic carbs are in both the diet and in your fueling. So what we, what we're looking at is like, once you get this fat burning, and you're doing high volume of exercise, then that window of carb tolerance and actually what you can get out of the carbs really opens up because what Jimmy Moore is talking about and what most of the body of science on, on low carbohydrate is based on has to do with the body of literature on sedentary, relatively sedentary people. So, um, you know, that 50 gram a day or that 30 gram a day thing it's 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 based on a relatively sedentary group of of subjects so what we're seeing is that can open up to 75 100 to 150 and in some athletes 250 a day in training you know if it's a big day of weekends it could be 300 350 so it could of grams of carbohydrate a day whereas if we um are sedentary it, it, you know you got to be pretty strict about that 30 to 75 grams a day right and do you take them before you start um, your activity, or for me, I generally don't take anything until like an hour. And the, the last couple of rides, I took them like two hours in. Yep. Nope. That's when you. That's when you should. Somebody like you has to um, watch that. Um, you know, carefully right now. I think over time, as your stomach and gut heals, and your your this, the the biome is better able to to help mitigate the carb thing. You'll actually be able to go up a little bit on occasion, but 
you know, we do what we call a carb sneak the night before. It's like the carb loading that you'll sneak some carbs in under a blanket of fat. So a, a loaded baked potato or a sweet potato with a lot of butter on it um, or a really rich risotto, you know, like a lot of butter and cream and cheese in it. You know, something that fat is going to slow that glycemic load. Okay. Okay. A little bit of that. But in the day, in a day or two days now, if you're doing like like half marathons or 10Ks and stuff, you might do start bringing the carbs back in two or three days before and raising it up so you have a bit more of that fast burning stuff. It all depends. But if you're doing more endurance stuff, you're going to want to bring it in, you know, one or two days before at the most. You know, start to bring in that carb because sneak. Because you don't before. have as much intensity. Right. Right. Now, in the morning of, I think you're, you know, it depends on the athlete. If you're really um, sensitive, you can, insulin sensitive, you can have a little bit of carbs, like, you know, half of a sourdough English muffin with a bunch of butter on it, or half a banana with some peanut butter on it, or something like that. But a lot of people are just having like herbal tea with heavy cream or coconut oil and a little bit of honey in it. Well, that's generally what I do. I didn't, I haven't yeah. been adding the honey. I haven't been adding any. Any Don't, carbs before. Yeah, like a teaspoon of honey, once you're fat adapted, isn't the end of the world. And, and actually, and this is a whole other subject, but when you're really well fat adapted, fructose is your friend. For because, But we'll talk about that another thing. But, but a little bit of that. But then once, like you say, once you've started, it, you know, I can tell people like if they're amped up, say if you're doing a sprint triathlon or something, you can take a Vespa Junior at the start where you get a little bit of a hit from the orange juice. And then like – or if you're doing something longer, start it an hour, hour and a half, two hours in. Start your feed of, of carbs, okay? Okay, and, yeah. And, and you know, like we say, using the Vespa, using the adaptation, you're going to use less but you're going to get a bigger bang. Now, depending on the situation, if it's a pretty flat situation or a track, you're, you know, you may use a formula. But if you've got a course where you've got some hills and stuff – you know, rather than take it on, on the hour or something like that, you may want to look at, okay, you got a hill coming up and you want to hammer it 10 minutes before pop, pop, pop the gel, pop the gel and hit some salt and start, start, start taking a feed in so that, so that, you know, you stay hydrated. So when that sugar hits and an extra effort hits, you're going to be putting out more heat. And so you have to also be spot on your hydration. So, you know, that blood sugar rise, that extra effort, you got to be able to cool yourself too. Right. Well, that's so, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of the formulas we use. Now, um, also, um, with the strategic carbs, you want to, you want to, um, you should notice that you're going to get a bigger bang out of them. That's what we report. Um, and, and some people can do it by a drip. Some people need to take a hit. And, and I'm pretty lenient. I tell people, that they, I want them to use, they're free to use what they want, how much they want, you know, whatever works for them, even if it's wheat-based or whatever, gels, use what they're used to and what they like. Make it easy because they're not going to be using as much and you just want to make it as easy as possible. Right. Well, that's good. I mean, yeah. and it's sort of nice to know that you're going to have that available to you for race day, I mean, for me, because I, I mean, I'm just doing training rides, yep. and um, just the idea of having a candy bar makes me yep. happy. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, and, and that's the thing. So, 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 I want you to, I want you to think about now. 
pretend like it's a race and take that candy bar 10 minutes before you hit a hill, take a salt cap, start sipping on some water and, and see what you can do to hammer, hammer yourself so that, uh, you know, you can see what this does so the carbs will hit you, you know, in yeah. a way. Yeah, well, I have a long, I mean, we have a really hilly ride this weekend. So, I mean, it'll be a perfect, perfect test for it. Yeah. Now, one one final thing here. Now, a lot of people, are, there's a lot of people out there, naysayers out there that love to, you know, they see somebody like Zach Bitter um, set a record. And they say, oh, he's not low carb. He's using all these carbs during a race. And blah, blah, blah. And so here's the thing. On race day, say you're doing an Ironman or a 100K run or a 100-mile run or whatever you're doing, okay, a big endurance event where, where you're going to be out there all day, you, an athlete's probably going to take in most, if not all, of their calories are going to be carb calories. You know, it's going to be 80, 90% of their calories will be carbs right. that day, okay? But the take-home here is – even though their exogenous calorie intake is that much and they're going to use some of their glycogen, but not all of it. Usually they're not going to deplete themselves completely because that's one of the advantages of fat adaptation for an endurance event. That amount of, of glucose based caloric energy expenditure is still only going to represent 20 to 30% of the total expenditure. So, so the entire, so most of the energy expenditure, the calories that get burned are still going to be fat calories, even though, what what people see an athlete taking in is almost all carbs. But you're not taking in as many carbs because I definitely noticed that, that I don't, don't yeah. need as many. That, yeah, Instead that's exactly a, right. Yeah. Right, right. So so like like a, on a 100-mile run, uh, you know, guys I work with and gals, they're taking anywhere from 1,500 to 3,000 calories total, whereas most people are taking in eight or 10,000 calories. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But the um, – yeah, and I, and for me personally, I just noticed that I don't, I don't have my mouth isn't breaking out, and um, and I don't, I don't know if it's the candy bars, but it's not like I don't have that, that high, you know, that high peak, and then it's gone, and then you need another one. That's right. That's exactly it. The carbs. You're going you're gonna to get more bang from the carbs, a more sustainable bang, and, and oddly enough, you're going to use less. So it's, it, that's one of those – that's how it works. And, and what you're saying is kind of consistent with what we hear from all the other athletes. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Well, it's good to know that I'm on track. So. Yeah. Oh, you're on, you're on track now. Let's go to the final one and, and kind of wrap up, which is just the tip of the, the, the pyramid, which is, is what we call the zen of OFM. And – and that's sort of like when you kind of get it, and, and, and I've kind of structured this. I don't mean – it really is kind of the way it is when you talk to somebody who's really deep into this. It becomes sort of a Zen thing where you don't think about it. You just know what to do in terms of training, what to eat, how to act. Um, you know, you just have that quiet confidence. Right. And, uh, and so that's when you sort of achieved it and you've, you've brought all those pieces together. Cool. It's sort of the, like the people who you see who are really breaking records and stuff, they just have it down where they don't think about it in everyday life. Like when they're yeah. at a restaurant, they don't have to plant. They know what yeah. to order instead of really. Exactly. They're not weighing their food. They're not checking their heart rate or their, their ketone levels. They, they just, you just kind of know where you are. Um, yeah. And if you do violate, say you, you, you pollute yourself with beer and pizza, you just, 
you all of a sudden know, oh, okay, this is why I don't do this, and you go right back in. And 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 those are the things that that sort of it's sort of like a beginning. And what we see is is it takes about the physiology takes about three to four months to really get there if you're really doing this right for you know three to four months maybe six months at the outside but in terms of the lifestyle and just the habits becoming intuitive it's about a two-year process right and that's the folks that you were talking about earlier uh that her started to really break records and yep and i don't know if we talked about it, but you were telling me about um a lady who's in her 60s who's yep. still running 100-mile yep. ultramarathons. Betty Smith, she's 62 years old. She just finished like middle of the pack at the at that dog, which is a 120-mile ultra in Canada. It's really hard. Um, you know, she just she just plows through these things like nothing. That's pretty impressive. That's yeah, uh, yeah. and that, that's what I want. I want to be in my 60s and finish middle of the pack. Well, I, I think, and I think you, you know, that's the thing. It's like I said, you, you know, when you do the this burning fat as your fuel, and you have that nutrition dial, it's just a whole different level. And and you know, you can't explain it to anybody. And and because there's this cognitive dissonance, because we've been led to believe fat is bad, and we got to fear salt, and and red meat's bad. You know, it, it's a very complicated picture, and 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 so. Do you see the turnaround, though? I mean, maybe it's because I do a lot of research in this area because I, me, I'm personally curious, and I'm, and the other way, a, a low-fat vegan diet did not, and you know, I was literally ill. I was sick. I I was not a functioning human being, and so yeah, um, that I. I do see that it is changing, but it's it's happening a lot slower than than I would have thought because I think there is this this it's a belief system, and because we're so you know food and nutrition is so hardwired into our biology because it's it's about survival. If we're led to believe something will kill us, and then something else is actually healthy and good, it's 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 hard to dislodge that thing to get people to take that first step and get those results like you going you know you had to go all the way to veganism to see it wasn't working for you even though it might work for somebody like scott jurek right not- and that's one of the reasons why i'm like wow that guy is amazing and he's yeah. eating a vegan diet but i only got sicker and fatter and slower <laughs> yeah well most most people i think genetically need need to have um some some animal fat and protein. Some people can get away with very very little. I think like somebody like Scott would probably do better if he had a little bit of animal fat and protein in his diet, but probably not much. You know, there's this variation. But some people have to have a lot of it. And and even Denise Minger, who wrote Death by Food Pyramid, she said she did went down that same vegan pathway. And when her perfect teeth had a bunch of cavities and her hair was falling out, that's when she she had to face the music that that all this great health she was supposed to be getting from a vegan diet and I'm not knocking vegan diets wasn't there. Uh, same thing with Lear Keith who wrote the vegetarian myth, you know, she had to be faced. It had to get to a point where, you know, she had to have that come to Jesus meeting about, about, um, maybe this, maybe, you know, cause, and the thing is, is one of the things I, I'll be talking about in, in the future is, is that we're hardwired to be right in our own mind. So it's, it's very hard to dislodge that. And I think a lot of people, even though the science is there and it's building, there's still a lot of, you know, 
um, well, just resistance. People, and I think, you know, people who uh, uh, do meditation or study a spiritual path or, or yoga, I was just reading an article on Facebook that they were talking about the pineal gland, like a vegan diet's best for the pineal gland. And I'm like, well, well, for one, is there any proof of that? And two, even if it was, I couldn't eat like that because I was half dead. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, that the thing is, 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 you know, we can talk about this as a separate thing, but, but there, you know, the human digestive system is made for very nutrient dense, bioavailable stuff and we got this by by basically chasing big herds of ruminants and right. cooking and cooking you know, i know cooking. my degree is in anthropology so i that's what made our brains bigger is eating yep. meat or, and or that's the theory and yep. the theory behind it but um but i also studied a lot about religion and um you know all these different you know religious traditions were like oh for your you know for your soul your spirit you know it's best to eat a vegan diet and um but as soon as and you know of course there's no i don't know that there's any documentation or proof that you have any more enlightenment if there's you know you're eating a vegan diet but once you become very very ill you might have you know you step back and say well what the heck is going on <laughs> yeah well i i you know i've i've actually had a couple of vegan athletes that i've actually brought over back over to the dark side <laughs> i and and you know the way I, I i try to come to grips with this you know in a in a spiritual philosophical way is when you look at biological systems and the way nature works, you have this biological system that's fueled by, you know, for life to go on, there's got to be death. And, and, right. and, you know, predators are part of that biological system. Now, we as humans have kind of excelled at that to the point of destructive tendencies. Right. But, but, you know, if you want to look at a tr- really natural human, where humans are in, in sync with nature, we're part of that cycle of life. And, and where we are is in that um omnivorous carnivore we're, we're, we're basically predators that that can eat fruits and vegetables and other matter but you know we're basically meant to eat either a lot of animal fat with some protein or bacterially reduced stuff meaning i.e rotten stuff fermented stuff yeah, you know and I, yeah and adding and I don't think food's pretty easy too. So it's right. Uh, I don't think a lot of people, other than traditionally fermented foods, I don't think a lot of people are going to be migrating to eating grubs and rotten flesh or something like that anytime no. soon. So, <laughs> no. so we're not going to be talking about that. But so you know, I try to t- t- to to say, you know, what's the most natural and where do we fit in this whole natural cycle of life? And this is, you know, and, and yeah, we should be doing a more responsible job in terms of, you know, taking out the 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 most egregious parts of factory farming and trying to rebuild the soil and do all that. But, you know, this is where we belong and, and trying to do it responsibly. So that's kind of where we are. And, and I've got to kind of cut it short because I'm already running a little bit late. Well, I, but, I just um, wanted to, but I'm glad you were able to get through the whole pyramid. And just if folks are yeah. interested, definitely go to the website, which there'll be a link to. And if you have questions for Peter, let me know. Um, and we'll, you know, get them back online. And then before the holidays, we're going to discuss a hard reset. So how to enjoy your holidays and set you up for the next race season. Yeah. And Stephanie, um, uh, uh, 
what I wanted to say is we'll be adding content and reorganizing. This is going to grow because there's just so much to it, and we've only got a smattering of it up at this point, just a, a, a workable understanding. But uh, there's a lot more to add. And then don't forget to tell all your listeners about the uh, coupon code. Right. And um, it's uh, FitNerd um, at Vespa.com, and I will have a, a link to it on the, the show notes. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Stephanie. All right. Thanks, Peter. And thank you for your time. You have a great day. You too. Look forward to working with you again. Great. Thanks.